0: Before we get into the message, my name is Pedro. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, I've been here for a couple years now, which is just crazy to think about. And um, the title of today's sermon is Extraordinary in the Ordinary. We're going to be in Mark 6, verses 7 to 13. You can pull that out whenever, uh, whenever you have it in your Bible or in your phone. But before there... Uh, Along this idea of the extraordinary and the ordinary, I've been thinking a lot, and uh, my thoughts kept on going back to when I was in college. Ann and I, my wife, we met at college. We went to a college, is is a private Christian college, and their big thing, the thing that they really invested in was social justice programs. That was what they were known for. The only people who were famous or known out of our school were in the context of social justice, and so... We were around a lot of kids that we made, we kind of made fun of them, I'm sorry. Uh, We called them social justice kids. And these kids were the ones who had um, dreads, who had tattoos, who dyed their hair, who wore clothes that didn't even look like hand-me-downs. They were like several degrees worth of hand-me-downs. And they were the picture of what we had in our school as, okay, those are the radical ones. And to me, in my mind, in my heart, I was like, okay, I'll never be able to be that because I don't want to look like that. I don't want to live like that. They look really dirty. I just don't want to be that dirty all the time. And so in my mind, that's what I created. But over the four years of being in college, I matured in my faith. I grew a lot with Jesus. And afterwards, I was like, okay, it's my turn to do something radical. And so I've talked about this before. I did a, a program called Mission Year, an urban missions program, And through Mission Year, I did a lot of the really radical things that I always wanted to. You know, if you're anything like me, you want to see amazing things happen in our world for Jesus. You want to see people being freed. You want to see people who are sick being healed. You want to see demons casted. You want to see everything that we see in Scripture. We want to see that and more today in our world. And so I thought I couldn't do that. But then it was my turn to try and do something radical. And when I went, so I went through this program. I went, I moved to Chicago. I made no money for two years. I actually had to fundraise to be there. I lived in the most dangerous zip code in the country for two years. I lived with an intentional community of Christians, and we, tried, and we committed ourselves to one another. I did all of these things that were really radical. I, I befriended all of the gang leaders in our, in our area. I knew them all. I was friends with them. I knew people who were killed. Uh, And I did all these things because I just really wanted, it was my turn to do something radical for Jesus. But what I found in my time there was that being this, I don't have to be the loud Christian. I don't have to be the one with the tattoos or the one with the hairs. It didn't matter what I looked like at all. It mattered how committed I was to Jesus in my daily life. And so the idea of this sermon today is that we find extraordinary things of God in our ordinary lives if we're living them the way that God has ordained us to and the way that he is calling each one of us to. Uh, the word radical is a word that I have come to not really like that much or appreciate because there's always this idea of doing something grand or doing something amazing or changing everything, uh, whereas I think it's a lot, radical is a lot more subtle Even in its definition, the word radical just means root. It's not doing grandiose things. It's not doing all these amazing things. But it's being so committed to something that you plant yourself in it and you don't move away from it. And so if we want to be rooted in Christ, if we want to see the extraordinary things, it probably won't take all of us quitting our jobs and coming to work for the church. That is probably not the thing but us being so dedicated to Jesus and our community and our fellowship and our city that amazing things happen out of that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read our scripture for the day. Uh, This is so, it's almost impossible for me to be up here because this is a lifestyle that I want to talk about today, and I have 20 minutes, now 15 minutes. So let me just pray, and then I will get into the word. Lord, uh, we love you. We thank you for gathering us this day. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Lord. Please speak to us through these passages. Please, Lord, uh, let the words that come out of my mouth be from you. We love you. Please show us the type of life that you've called us to live, Lord. And uh, I'm sure we will see amazing things come out of it. And so, Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's go to our text. Jeremy, if you could throw that up there for me, please. All right, reading, starting in verse 7, Mark 6. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, anointed and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. So we got to just jump on in. I would love to talk more. But our first point for the day is that Jesus is calling us to fellowship. That if we want to live radical lives in our ordinary lives, if we want to see extraordinary things, then it starts with fellowship. It starts with the Christian community, with your friends. This is cool. Even seven words into our scripture for today, we find a biblical truth that we can't ignore. It goes along with fellowship. But before I really dive into fellowship, let's talk about this. You were called by Jesus to be sent. Seven words in here, it says that Jesus gathers them and sent them out. And so when we preach that God loves you, that God saves you, that God redeemed you out of his kindness, out of his grace, put you into his new covenant, that's all true. But one of the pillars of your call is always that you're going to be sent out. That what you have received, you've received for someone else to benefit from too. And so right into this, we see that Jesus calls his disciples together. He brings them together so that he can send them out. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this happened, but one of the ones that I really love is that Jesus knows that these men will be the the torchbearers for the next generation, the ones who would grow the church. And so generation after generation, the church has always relied on its fellowship because we are the ones who guard God's word in our age. It's our turn to pick up the torch where the generations before us have given it to us. Uh, And I love that. Also along fellowship, we see that Jesus sends them out two by two. They're never alone. This Christian walk, this Christian journey is not meant for us to do it alone. No park party would be horrible if only one of us showed up to it. Anything that you do, it's always better when we are gathered into. And there are a lot of cultural reasons why this was so in their day. But there are also just God's kindness for us. That we don't have to do this alone. That he doesn't call us to go out and minister alone. But that through one another we can revitalize each other. We can give each other hope. We can work harder with other people than we do alone. We'll last longer. You know, Paul talks about this life as a marathon here is that fellowship is what jesus is calling us to if we want to see the extraordinary there are no lone wolf christians that will do this stuff it takes a fellowship it takes a community it takes a whole church you know two of god's main metaphors to tell us truth is through the metaphor of we're a family we're in his family he's adopted and he's our father and then the second one is that we are one body and that we together work together to accomplish God's mission. And that's awesome. That's so encouraging to all of us because the pressure of having to do things is, should be taken off of your shoulders every day of your life because we do it together and we don't do it alone. The second point, and I think my favorite one for today because I'm pretty nerdy when it comes to the Bible and I love all of these background information. The second thing is that when Jesus calls us, we have to go simply and we have to go in dependency. Right off the bat, here we see two lists that Jesus gives them. He tells them what to bring and not to bring. We'll also talk about their housing instructions in a second. So, Jesus tells them to bring a couple of things. He says, Hey, bring a staff, bring a belt, bring a sandal, and bring one tunic. And then he says, Hey, don't bring this. Don't bring any bread. Don't bring a bag. Don't bring money. And don't bring an extra tunic. And right here, these two lists communicate so much to us about God's intention, about ministry for us. The first being, what is the things that he tells us to bring? Bring a staff, a belt, sandal, and a tunic. These are all things that you put on your body so that you can go out and do work, so that you can go out and minister to people. You you take a staff so that you can walk, so that you can chase after people. You You wear a belt to help you stand upright, to keep you decent, and to help you do work. You put on sandals to walk, to go long distance, to work really hard so that you can do more than you could without them. And you bring one tunic. You know why? Because that's all that you will need. One tunic. It covers you. It keeps you warm. It's not flashy. It's not awesome. It's pretty simple, but it's enough for you to do the work. And what are the things that he says to not bring? He says, hey, This list is challenging guys. If you read this list and you're not like, Jesus, how am I supposed to do this? Then let's read it a little more carefully. Don't bring any food. If you're going out for him, you don't have to worry about your food. I've got that. Hey, don't bring a bag. You don't need a suitcase. You don't need extra things. Whatever is in your life that is extra, the baggage that you bring, leave it behind. You don't need it. I'll take care of your needs. Money. Enough said. Money. How are we going to do anything without money? How are we going to trust God with our families, with our kids, with our wives? This whole week, I wrestled with this list so many times because I'm like, God, how can I be a responsible dad? How can Ann and I have more kids if we want more kids? How can we do anything without this list? The second tunic is to look nice, to look presentable, to look like you've got it together, to stay extra warm so it's convenient. How are we not supposed to bring these things? To me, the list is backwards. I'm like, God, how can I not bring the things that are most important? The things that we need most vitally. But here in that, Jesus is communicating a lot. He's saying that he will provide everything that we need. Everything that you think that you need to bring that Jesus is saying, hey, you don't need to bring this. Like, let's bring that before God. One of the purposes of this passage is to kind of expose us. So it's like shock therapy. You read this and you're supposed to put it in your heart and you're supposed to see what comes out of your heart. To me, this whole week, all those questions that I just asked, I hope that they sound as bad as they should sound to you, because how can I not trust God, the creator of all things, for the things that I really need? He tells me to bring the minimum. I'll bring the minimum, I'll bring the stuff that I put on my body to work really hard, and he says that he'll take care of everything else. Like, that's so incredible. That's so incredible, counterintuitive. It's everything. It's so nice to have that promise. And so it's up to us. If we're being sent out as individuals, if we're being sent out as a community, we need to rely on these truths and not just rely on them, but act out on them. We go out in fellowship because he's called us to that. And we go out to live simply because he promises to take care of everything else. Let's talk about the housing instructions for a second. It's really funny. Like, why does Jesus care so much about where they stay? But he tells them, hey, you go into a town, you find someone to take you in, and when that person takes you in, you stay there and you can't leave that home until you leave that city. And the cool thing about that is that Jesus is saying, when you find something good in someone, you stake with them. You don't go looking for a better home to stay in. You don't go looking for a, a more prestigious host, someone with more sway, someone more powerful. But you find the goodness in a place and you stay there and you nurture it and you grow it. See, one of the truths about how Jesus sends us is the dependency part. We already established how, he de- how we sent out, how we are sent out depending on God. But also in the way that Jesus ordained his disciples to minister was that we have to be able to put ourselves in a place to depend on other people. And that for us, for a lot of people, that's the, that's the dunzo list. I can't do that. You know, I think there are a lot of people who would do really radical things for God if they said, hey, if God told them, hey, sell all your stuff, move to this place, do this. But then the second he says, hey, and then you have to depend on other people's charity or other people's goodness, Or other people's handouts. I think a lot of us would draw the line at that point. But the way that God has, or Jesus has told his disciples to go out and minister is that we have to depend on God and we have to depend on other people. See, the sin, the good things is that we get to, when people shower their kindness on us, we get kindness, we get their gentleness, we get their compassion, we get intimate relationship, we get to know the person more. The sin part of that is, hey, I'm the charity case. I'm the one getting the handouts. I'm begging people for stuff. And so that is a no-go for a lot of people. But for us to be effective, for us to really go out and try and see the extraordinary in all things, the one thing you have to do on a daily basis is say no to your pride. I've been in ministry in some capacity now for 10 years, and the one constant that I've gotten almost every time I've ever had to minister was that my pride took a hit. I remember when, I, when Justin first came on board here and we talked on the phone, and I remember saying this to you, I said, I can't move to Jersey City until I find a job because I can't ask Ann to, to go on even less than what we have. And shortly after I said that, we were praying and we're like, okay, that's not what we want to be about. And God corrected us, and we humbled ourselves, and we moved out here almost on a whim, because God told us, obviously, but on a whim. And so in every year since then, we've gone, we've existed on less and less and less. And you know what? It's not always great. It hits my pride on a daily basis. But my testimony is that God is good enough, us, and he is always provided He has always provided more than enough of what we need. You know, back to the list of what to bring the bag one, like the luxuries or the extras. God is so good to us, we even have some extras now, and it is amazing, and now we can really enjoy it, whereas before, I could never enjoy it. But God is so good, and he's so good that he calls us to be in fellowship. He tells us to depend on him, and he tells us to depend on other people to help us along the way too. And just for the sake of time, I would love to stay here more, but for the sake of time, we have to go on. Oh, actually, before I do, one, my favorite point about this. This list that we were given is the exact list that we find in Exodus 12. You should read that part of Scripture because it is amazing. The tunic the, is exactly what Jesus told the Hebrews to do when they were preparing for the Passover. And so the correlation that we see here is that Jesus was promising us, you saw that deliverance that I did in Egypt? When all of your firstborns were spared because of my goodness, Jesus promises that his deliverance is far greater than the one we see in Moses. That not only will one people's children be saved, but the whole world is being saved. If we bring the right things, we get to see it. And so for the last part, we're just going to talk about this. Ryan, you can head up out here because I'm almost done, unfortunately. But we see that the last thing that we are called to is a commitment to truth. You know, I think we make up some lies about how we live. I think one of the lies about how we live today is saying that this age is so hard to minister to because of people don't believe in truth, there are all these religions, all of the excuse after excuse. But this has always been the case. And Christians have always been called to commit themselves radically to God's truth. You know, the the difficulties that we face today... A lot of them are pretty tame to the, difficult, the same difficulties that Jesus experienced in his day. Is that it's never been easy to minister to people. It's never been a message that people want to receive. We see here that the, the disciples go out and their one message is repentance. It says that they went out and preached that people should repent. And that's a message that's never going to be popular. It's a message that the world is never going to like. It's not a message about, hey, you're doing great, though a lot of people are. Hey, you're working really hard. A lot of people are working hard. It's not even only a message of God loves you, though he does. We have to repent, and we have to go to him. And so we see here that we have to radically commit ourselves to the truth of what Scripture shows us. No matter what the outcome may be, no matter how people look at us, because a lot of people love a lot of it, but there's always the parts of it that are really difficult, even difficult for us to swallow. I hope you wrestle with your faith. I hope you wrestle with the difficult aspects and the difficult things that Jesus calls us to, because we have to be prepared. We have to be willing to commit ourselves to fellowship. We have to be willing to dedicate ourselves to go out in dependency of him and one another and strangers. And we also have to commit ourselves to uh, being radical sorry commitment to truth and so i just want to end by talking about this it talked about in the last couple of verses that you should shake the dust off when you enter a place that does not receive you and so that's the difficult part of all of this but it's also the liberating part of this what jesus says here is that hey other people's decisions are not your responsibility If you go to a place and no one hears you out, you shake the dust off of your feet, you continue serving Jesus, and you keep on running the race that you've been called to run. It's so freeing to know that other people's responsibilities are not on your heart, that they don't depend on whether God likes you or not, that you standing with him does not change because of other people's opinions or what they choose. There might be people that all of us are called to, to go after for decades. Like you one person, God puts on your heart in every season of life and you go after them. But for the most part, that's not the case. Everyone's decisions is not up to you. And so this message, not, well, I'm talking about radical things. I'm talking about the extraordinary things. None of, nothing in this message is radical or extraordinary. The radical and extraordinary parts of this message is when we live them out is when we take them serious, when we give them the priority that they should have in our lives. Following these three things, going in fellowship, depending on God and strangers and other people, and committing ourselves to truth, there's nothing that holds that down at any point of the world's history. The church has always grown when those three things are happening, every single time. And so, priority on Jesus. That living a radical life is that you're really rooted and unmovable in your faith in Jesus. That even when really difficult things happen to you, you run to Jesus for the answers and for caring and not away from him. And so at the end of this story, we see that the disciples did super ordinary things. They went out and preached and had fun with people. And at the end, they got to see healings. They got to see demons casted out. I mean, talk about miracles talk about the things that we could see in our congregation and that we could bring to the rest of Jersey City, Uh, and I believe this wholeheartedly that we will see a lot of these things, especially when we commit ourselves to these three things and stay there week after week, MC after MC, Sunday after Sunday, hanging out lunch date after lunch date. We can see this happen here because God is good and he's able to do it, amen? So let's worship a little bit of this God that we trust, that we depend on for everything, and ask the Holy Spirit to tell you these things uh, where you're not doing one of these three things well. What are the things that you need to leave behind? What are the things that you need to bring with you? Who are the people you need to go with? And uh, yeah, I could be up here forever, so I'll just stop. Thank you, guys. Let's pray and worship.